Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond is on assignment, so I'm your filling host, James Page from MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. This week, we're going to be looking back at two of the best-loved James Bond games that were released almost 20 years ago, which is a, a scary thought that that's 20 years, mm-hmm. Agent Under Fire and Nightfire. Both featured a different incarnation of 007. One was a perfect blend of the best bits of Connery and Moore, seemingly everyone's idea of what Bond should look like, delivered great one-liners and left the audience wanting more. The other was Pierce Brosnan. Oh. <laughs> so, um, we are going to be tackling Agent Under Fire at Nightfire, and with us this week we have Calvin Dyson, Sean, Sean I always say it wrong, Sean, I have to Sean. edit it every week. No, 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 don't edit it, leave it in every time. It's, it's authentic. authentic. All right, all right, lean Sean Law. And Kim Justice, would you like to introduce yourself, folks? Yes, uh, I'm Calvin Dyson, and I have a YouTube channel under that name where I uh, talk about and review all things Bond. Hello, I'm Lean Chongmore, and um, I'm a graphic designer, and I sometimes do James Bond art, uh, and I'm sorry, hay fever, as pollen's come out to get me this week, so I do sound like I've got a peg on my nose, so I apologise Hi, I'm Kim Justice. I also have a YouTube channel. I talk about old retro games, make documentaries about mostly British microcomputer stuff, specky and C64, but all sorts, really. And I do Twitch and just general internet person. I, ha- I can't use the word influencer. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse completely. Good. We hate that word, too. Um, so we were just chatting beforehand that 20 years is now like considered retro. Um, but Sean, for you, you were you were a youngin when the PS2 was out, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was uh, when Agent Under Fire came out. I was six, so I'm the baby here. With <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I kicked a poll off on Twitter during the week that said, you know, Agent Under Fire versus Nightfire. What's your preference? And um, three quarters said Nightfire, which surprised me because I thought there'd be more Agent Under Fire fans out there. Um, mm-hmm. But how do you want to kick this off, guys? Do you want to like have a run through um, what we think of Agent Under Fire first, do it chronologically? Uh, uh, that probably makes sense. All right. So developed by EA Redwood Shores, um, I was going through my old notes, and um, it's originally developed as it was supposed to be the World Is Not Enough game, developed on the Quake Three engine, and then EA pivoted it to be an original title for the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox. Mm. And you can really tell as well that there are, there are some uh, parallels with the world's not enough. I, I'm, you know, f- uh, main villain is a woman, and she has this bald henchman um, who's very physical. You have to battle with. There are water vessel settings. It's you know, submarines <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the the story itself is completely original. And uh, how what well, you tend to find that the Bond games are often influenced most by the films that they're sort of nearest. So in Nightfire, we'll talk a bit about how you know it's got Aston Martin Vanquish on ice, and later Daniel Craig films very much lean into the whole uh, villainous organization angle that of uh, that was in um, Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. Um, Agent of Fire does something completely different with the whole cloning thing, which I find very uh, interesting. James, do you have any information on mm. who the writer was, if there even was a writer, or how was this story constructed? Well, sadly, we only started working officially during Nightfire. So Agent Under Fire for us is a little bit of a mm. mystery box. Um, yeah. 
we weren't working with EA until um, till after this game came out. Mm. So, well, I guess I was um, I was trying to look up information like on behind the scenes stuff for Agent Under the Fire and Night the Fire. Um, really couldn't find a lot about Agent Under Fire at all. Right. As mm. far as anyone who wrote it goes, it doesn't seem like it was written by anyone who had any much experience at all with Bond. It, mm. um, all, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, because obviously they were kind of, as you say, going through the films that were kind of as close to those. So there's lots of references, lots of a fan service, I suppose you could call it, delicious fan service. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, they're quite mysterious games when it comes to actual behind the scenes. It feels it it feels a, quite a contrast looking back on them now when like a good deal of the Daniel Craig ones. In fact, I think all of them had Bruce Feierstein come on mm-hmm. to uh, do the writing, and he obviously uh, credited with um, writing uh, a few of the films as well. So that makes sense, like to bring on someone like that. But these, yeah, no, I find it curious, uh, sort of how they were constructed. But there is also a, quite a bit of misinformation online about. Bond himself in Agent Under Fire because um, he's voiced by Andrew Bicknell and sometimes he's miscredited as being voiced by Adam Blackwood. Uh, Mark Edlitz's really good um, book that I've got here, The Many Lives of James Bond um, actually interviews Andrew Bicknell about, um, about playing the part which is really cool. Uh, the likeness is often miscredited as being Bicknell's likeness, but it isn't. Uh, James, at the start of this, uh, you mentioned that it was some kind of amalgamation. Is that really yeah. the case? Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, I had someone basically describe him as kind of having a voice similar to Timothy Dalton's and a face similar to Pierce Brosnan's. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on, actually. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, not wanting to throw that model away, they used it twice in Nightfire. Yes. The bit part characters. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that model makes it over, not to jump ahead, but it makes it over to the Game Boy Nightfire. Yes. Yes. And he's, it's in like at the start, and then they just revert, revert to Brosnan about halfway through. Yeah. Because I guess they got Brosnan's likeness a little later on in the development of that, and I guess they, uh, yeah, the whoever was developing the Game Boy Advance version of it just didn't correct it for a, for, for some of the earlier cutscenes. Uh, but yeah, he, do, he does pop up there quite nicely. But in the main game as well, he's like a helicopter pilot. I think he's also a generic bloke at party at the start. Uh, but it's nice. To, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say I really like the idea of having code, code name theory calvin code name theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. what what if the others are clones ah, there you go there we go it's all making sense <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, all together I, and i'd be really curious to know what you guys all think about this because it is um i i really like having an original video game bond <laughs> like someone who isn't necessarily you don't have to adhere to whoever's playing the part at the time because then you get into rights issues and y- you know you end up with oh well is Pierce Brosnan coming back well we haven't got the contract signed yet so we'll have to go with someone else i i really like the idea that they would just kind of no you know what we'll just create our own bond because Bond is, can be such a cipher anyway for just going on some of these fantastic adventures in this universe. And I, I quite liked just, um, yeah, having that original creation here. I know it makes it more difficult from a promotional standpoint, but mm. um, I, I still quite like it. 
personally, I really love it when any licensed game tries to do something new with the property. So, mm. yeah, I'm all for something like Agent Under Fire just kind of going off and doing its own thing because it depended on the movie that something's based on. The actual movie itself can be quite restrictive. It's like, oh, we've got to have this and that. Mm. But I do really enjoy stuff like, say, the Godfather game, which kind of just sticks you in like a completely original person, although mm. it's still kind of based in the film's plot. Mm. And again, something like Agent Under Fire and Nightfire that just do new things rather than just regurgitating the plot of a movie. Mm. I watched your review again, Calvin, last night from eight years ago. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. Cr- oh, no. It's probably cringe if you looked at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things you brought up at the end was um, Agent Under Fire, does it suffer from from not having any familiar faces and voices mm. from the films? Because EA kind of really lent into that after the game after these two with everything nothing, which was like, let's just cast a bunch of famous people for voices and likenesses and <laughs> give something to hang a hat on, right? Versus mm. doing something completely original. But I never found it to be a detractor mm. originally because there's enough stuff in there with the gadgets and the cars and all the other stuff mm. to kind of link it to the universe. Mm. But I don't know if your opinion has changed eight years on. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's enough to... Uh... And and the Bond theme being so heavy in the soundtrack really helps as well, because I played this game again very recently, uh, and then that really stuck out to me. I do think it is missing that extra Bond polish. Like, there's no gun barrel at the start, there's no blood trickling down the down the screen. Um, it, it, if you play the game a certain way, Bond doesn't even go to bed with anyone during the, the course of the game. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. It doesn't quite hit some of those cinematic beats and um, I guess that's probably to do with maybe uh, they were redeveloping this after it was originally a world is not enough game maybe those story elements just uh, yeah kind of got left to the, left at the side but uh, no the in terms of the cast it doesn't detract from uh, my enjoyment or my personal feeling that this is a very Bondian game at all I do get the feeling that there was quite a bit of rushing going on yeah especially when it came to actually changing it to something original. Like, yeah, as you say, there's some parts of it that are a bit unpolished. I mean, not just necessarily from a James Bond point of view, but also from a playing the game point of view. There are certainly a few things that could be better here and there. But Mm. yeah, it does make you feel like James Bond, and that is the most important thing when it comes to a licensed game, I believe. Mm. Do you feel like the character? It's it's really interesting. It kind of feels like it's, it's... It feels like it's rushed, but then in a way it also doesn't feel like it's rushed too much, if that makes sense. It's kind of like an in-between thing. There is a lot that follows over from The World Is Not Enough. So the soundtrack, as you mentioned, I think nearly a good 50%, maybe more, is just direct music that's been reused. There's a lot of sort of textures and assets that you can see are similar as well. Mm. Um, and I, I, the one thing that's always stood out to me that's a real indicator of how it's rushed is how... Um, the story is told to you so there's very f- there's very few like properly pre-rendered cutscenes, mm. um mm. and a lot of the story is told to you via either a voiceover section at the start of the level or m voicing information to you through the level as you play along it would be an odd experience i think to take that away and that's not it's not really something that uh, yes, we get exposition at the start, usually of a James Bond story, but it doesn't really follow the whole way through. So I think that does its job of like holding everything together. 
that makes sense. But I think that's a real indicator of the, how things might, some corners might have been cut to get it out via release date or to mm. e- either to get it out quick or as a little bit of an ex- extension of what had already been done. I don't know which one it is, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and I think it, it is worth noting as well that this was very much a sort of like a link between, like I think Nightfire does the whole recreating a Bond film as a game better, but Agent of Fire is a bit of a bridge, like coming just before this, it was a few versions of The World's Not Enough, um, EA also did a version of Tomorrow Never Dies, 007 Racing, and mm. all of them, like 007 Racing tried to tell a, an original story with no cutscenes at all, I don't think, or very minimal, at least. It does all this uh, text briefing. Like, Agent Under Fire is somewhere in the middle of that. They're just almost there, but it, it's just going to take them one more game to uh, to really get there, I think. Uh, there's some real gems of moments, I think, in there. Um, like, I, So I picked up the start of it last night, and in the first level, there's a section where you go into like a grassy greenhouse thing, and then the lights all cut out and you're suddenly hit with like a mass hail of bullets. Mm. And there's some real gems of moments like that. There's quite a few in Night of the Jackal as well later on that really shine through. And it's like you say, Calvin, it's just they're not quite there yet with it. Mm. They certainly pack a lot into what is quite a short game as well. I mean, it's about two hours long. Yeah. The game, but it, it, you, get, you get a fair bit of band for that buck. I mean... Depending on how much you paid for it at the time, you might be a bit disappointed. It certainly works fine now. But yes, I think um, it also kind of brings a lot of like the golden eye elements back as well, especially when it comes to how it controls and kind of sort of like trying to bring back Bond to like the last thing that really obviously massively mm. worked being on the N64. But, and, but then also, it also comes out, if I look at it from a more um, gaming perspective, it comes out at a very weird time for um, first-person shooters, especially ones that are on consoles, because it comes out around the same time that Halo does. Mm. And Halo is obviously quite a different experience in terms of how it controls. It's a bit more close to what you'd expect like a PC game to control, like a PC FPS. And that ends up being the way that first-person shooters kind of end up going in terms of how they control. Right. So both lists and Nightfire do exist in um, a way that's kind of like an older way. Obviously, it's more it's an advancement like Goldeneye and Perfect Dark. While, while they still control good, they, um, there's a lot of... Um, I suppose if you have someone who is completely new to the game and they try to play it today, they would find a few um, foibles about it that they'd have to take a bit of time to get used to. Is what I'm kind of just saying. Kim, do you think it's like it basically fell in this kind of like rough territory of being post? Yes, it's a transitional like, period. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, you have lots of great games of both styles in that period. Um, so it's not really a big deal. It's just, um, it's a strange time. It's like people, on, because before, um, certainly before Goldeneye, people you just used to be utterly dismissive of having like a first person shooter on a console. Um, Halo was one of the games that really started to change all that as well a couple of years later, but it was still very dismissive. So a lot of game developers weren't necessarily sure about implementing first-person shooters on consoles. So you get a lot of weird things. It's like it's quite weird, just for example, in Agent Under Fire, to have the right analog stick, you strafe with that. Mm. Uh-huh. That's very strange. Normally uh-huh. you just turn with it. Mm. 
like just little things like that or just having that manual aim option is something that you don't really see in too many other games beyond mm. these ones and golden and perfect dark mm. I'm, I'm really happy you're, you're here kim because i feel like you're the oh. probably the the more experienced gamer out of the the bunch of us here uh, right. <laughs> like, c- certainly i very much come to these things more as from the perspective of a bond fan and, and i'm just curious to know about like the contextualizing it at the time, I guess, like when you look at the reviews that Agent Under Fire got at the time, it was really quite average, like six Mm. out of 10 sort of territory. Do you think that that was fair for the time? Do you think it did just kind of feel like an average shooter with a Bond skin on it, even at the time? Um, I understand why it would get scores like that, um, because magazines and critics do can obviously also be quite dismissive of licensed games generally. Mm. It's just like, oh, it's another licensed game. Because we're still in a time then when there's loads of licensed games still. Just and a lot of them are very average. They're not even terrible. They're just boring. Um I think Agent Under the F- I I keep saying Agent Under the Fire. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Agent Under Fire I think it's worthy of more than six out of ten. I mean I definitely prefer Nightfire, but yeah, it's a solid seven in my book. Mm. It's, mm. it's it's a perfectly good functional game, and it's an exciting experience. It has loads of action set pieces, good production values mm. for the most part. So yeah, I, I I think perhaps just people in those days very wary of just the licensed game, and also it probably doesn't help because people obviously still have Goldeneye in their minds a lot of the time, and obviously Goldeneye was... still do. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> Gold and I obviously got such rave reviews that any James Bond game did have always is always going to have the trouble of it's going to be compared to Gold and I. Mm. That is kind of a little noose around the neck sort of thing. Mm. A pressure. I, I think it's, it's really interesting you bring up Halo there. Um, I've just done a really quick Google, um, and I think maybe some of those reviews, those average reviews, just came for, uh, just fell as a victim of the timing because Agent Under Fire according to Google, at least, came out two days before Halo. Whoa. Ow. And Halo Ow. was okay. massive at that time. Mm. Yes, it was gigantic. <laughs> Word of mouth just immediately just put it straight to stratosphere. Mm. GTA that- 3 as well. Mm. Yeah, was that was that two days before the Xbox release, Sean, or two days before the PS2? Because it came because Agent of came out November two thousand one. PS2, look. but it yeah. was it was a few months later into two thousand two for GameCube. Yes, yeah, so uh, PS2 it came out North America November thirteenth two thousand and one, and then Xbox it wasn't till March twenty sixth two thousand two. Right, and Halo. Uh, and Halo was fifteenth of November two thousand and one, and that would have been the Xbox right, release as well. Right. So mm. Xbox users were well into Halo by the time this dropped a few months later on Xbox. On Xbox that would explain yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah. I've got to say, so the Xbox version is the version I've got. Um, I'm I'm an Xbox guy, and it does still feel very clunky on an Xbox. It doesn't feel like because the because the thing with the Xbox, the original Xbox at least, is the controller is absolutely huge. <laughs> like it's really fat it's like the size of a house the duke brick. it's it called is. the duke, the so duke. Yeah. It's <laughs> and um so stuff like that manual aim and the driving are very very difficult to kind of navigate and it's kind of difficult to get that sort of smaller movement that would be easier with the ps2 console simply because the controller is just so big mm-hmm. slightly weird tangent but the only thing i really know the xbox version of the game for 
is that you can use it. You can use something. There's something about the save system in it. Yep. You can use it to mod your Xbox yeah. and allow it to play pirated games and download yeah. emulators and everything. So this is why it sold quite a lot of copies on the Xbox, <laughs> was because um, I, I pulled up the news for this last night. So um, there was a competition out there um, to win $100,000 if you could mod an Xbox just in software, you know, like just through games rather than having to do mm. a hardware mod. Um, and this guy found that if you go to save a game in Agent Under Fire on the Xbox and then reload it through some third-party USB storage device, it creates an overflow in, in the game. And then you can basically load in Linux <laughs> through the back door <laughs> and so i think a lot of people ra- ran to get copies of agent under fire to get to be able to mod their xbox yeah it's probably still quite expensive now yeah so the guy yeah got on 100 <laughs> grand for that wow nice but um the game overall did sell about three million copies mm. two-ish of that was on playstation 2 mm. so mm. compared to gold it did pretty good well i think it is front. the Second best selling Bond game, isn't it? Uh, oh, yes. oh, only second to Goldeneye. I should know this. I made a video on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it is. Uh, but no, I do. I do remember James messaging me not long after I put up that video because I think in it I'm like, why did it sell so much on the Xbox? That's really weird. <laughs> it was like, so oh, it's basically well. a Linux dongle. Is what it turned into. Me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it is. It is. It's a really solid game. Like I do love. I love both these games, but. Agent Under Fire, there's, some, there's something about it. It's got a charm, and mm. it does have all the elements. Absolutely. And the story is wacky, but still brilliant and actually quite cohesive. And it's also got a wonderful cast of female characters, even mm, though some of them, them are in it fleet, very fleetingly. And James Bond is really horny the whole way through. <laughs> um, they they yes, kind of just put up with so. him, all the female characters through the game. You're like, oh. <laughs> I, I think there's definitely there's definitely a lot there that some of the later games don't have. Mm. Yeah, I have to say, I do think as much as the Pierce Brosnan era of Bond is kind of divided, I guess, in a lot of circles now. Um, those get that, that era of Bond does suit video games mm. kind of more. The Daniel Craig games haven't quite managed to land. Um, no. When it comes to that, uh, it be, perhaps because I mean, obviously, like Daniel Craig Bond is more grittier, more realistic in ways. When in gaming, there's lots of games like that with gritty, realistic heroes, you know, very downcast almost. Um, so they've kind of struggled to um, stand out games like the Quantum of Solace game, Bloodstone. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't really done all that well. Whereas Obviously, games like Agent Under Fire and Nightfire were triumphs back in their day in terms of sales. And it seems like they, they had a lot more freedom to, well, do lots of really s- s- unique stuff that you don't always see in a video game, like play around with gadgets and so on. Oh, and shout out to the jiggly boobs of Agent <laughs> Under Fire. Absolutely, yes. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, that was on the dev roadmap, you know. It's like, we've got to get that right. <laughs> yeah. The Dead or Alive specials. <laughs> Uh, um, no, I got to I got to mention that the the plot, although wacky, um, I wonder how much of it. And this is a nerd thing. I wonder how much of it was influenced by Raymond Benson's novel Double Shot, um, continuation of like came out the year before because his plot was world leaders being replaced by doubles, 
Oh, interesting. An agent in the fires plot is world leaders replaced by clones. And like, I mean, <laughs> on that note, it is also the plot of Casino Royale 1967. I do just want to give a, a, a shout out to the uh, driving segments in this one as well, because I, I think this was, unless we're counting the uh, driving the tank in uh, Goldeneye, I believe it's the first like 3D Bond game to have like your first person shooting segments and then on rails shooting segments and then full on driving segments and this became a bit of a trend through much of EA's tenure making the games but uh, that was really cool that that was all in one game and obviously 007 Racing had come out um, a year or two prior uh, and wasn't very successful it's a great game Oh, oh really? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, come on, Sean. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll buy you James Bond Junior. Love, but I'm not buying it. That you like the Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to count the Les the Spectrum game that has all three elements. There you go. Um, ah. Which one is it? View to a Kill yep. or Living? One of them. It's it's really bad. Yeah, View to a Kill is a terrible game. It's the first game I ever played on Commodore. 64. Those games are awful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but just to just to like your point uh, then Kim about uh, y- y- uh, the era being just right for Bond games I think the driving levels in particular where you're going around and shooting rockets and missiles and you mm. cue smoke and all that kind of stuff like that just it feels so Bond and when they did oh, do yeah. driving levels again in the Daniel Craig era games it just it lacked some of that like Bloodstone had some but it was always get here fast and that was kind of it there was very little in the way of gadgetry involved and yeah yeah just lacked a lack that certain you know something yeah you know yeah. to really grasp onto it rather than it just feeling that oh well we need a driving segment don't we mm. yeah, just plop one in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the drive the driving segments as well i think still actually really hold up um like i said i was playing mm. it last night and actually it still controls quite smoothly quite mm. well and did you say Kim? This was about the same time as GTA Three. It came yeah, out. Yeah, around then. Because I think I think that would hold its own against that in terms of driving and controlling like that. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's almost as if they they took the the best of what they already had and put it all together into one game. Hmm. I just find it amusing that like twenty years ago we had a Bond game that had a racing element in it that was kind of open world. Where you could pick mm. your own paths uh-huh. around and all that means. Twenty years later, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It, in, in the uh, the like the Bloodstone levels and 007 Legends had a a driving level or two as well, but it was very much like you know you, if you stopped and the timer went down like ten seconds and you failed the level, it just allowed no. Uh, whereas this game, like street, that Streets of Bucharest level, I think is absolutely fantastic. How you're either in the Aston Martin DB5 or you're in the Lotus Esprit if you've unlocked that, and you're just bombing around and there's helicopters and <laughs> villains everywhere. It just it feels so outrageous and so fun. But I think that Agent Under Fire as a game just has this lack of vanity that I find quite sweet, and I think you see it in the multiplayer. Uh, features as well because it has so much customization with like zero gravity and you can speed up the characters <laughs> and they zip around and stuff and you can like get to the top of levels and like look over the side into the oblivion yes. or below and I, yes. I just like that you would just never get that in games uh anymore i don't think no you don't you don't there's um there's a freedom that they're, they're, they're... 
they're not um, unwilling to take the piss a little mm. and um, kind of do like these parody ridiculous things. Like if you try to do it these days, people would probably be complaining. Oh, it's not um, balance mm. is the word that I suppose is often used in game design. It's not balance to just have everyone going around in zero gravity suits, just flying around a map and going to unreachable destinations. Mm. But even sure, it's not, but it's fun as hell to actually do yeah. in both this <laughs> and Nightfire. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. So what order did you come to this then, Sean, if you were six when uh, it came right, out? Yeah, so it's probably talk about this more with Nightfire. Um, so Nightfire was my first video game ever, um, full stop, except it was Nightfire wow. PC. <gasps> yeah, so we'll, we'll probably, like I say, we'll come to, we'll come to that. Um, this came around, uh, I probably would have got to this around 2008-ish when I picked up a an old Xbox secondhand and I'd not played it before. I'd played some of everything or nothing on a friend's PlayStation before that. Um, so this was the last one of the th- those three that I came to. Um, and I, so it always kind of sat in Nightfire's shadow a little bit for me. Mm. Um, but I think I've got more appreciation for it as I've got older and as Nightfire's got older as well. How about you, Cohen? Can you remember? Oh yeah, no, I I remember very vividly. Um, I was about twelve years old, I think I was when it came out, which uh, was a really good age for it. Definitely. And I think that uh, I had the GameCube version as well, so I got mine quite in like summer two thousand and two. I think it was. I might have even been a launch title for the GameCube. If it maybe it definitely didn't come out too much later after it anyway. Um, but no, I loved it at the time. It quickly replaced. Uh, golden eye is our kind of like go-to bond multiplayer and uh it's probably the one that i've gone back to the most over the years it's the one that i most uh fancy playing and i think i i think i just like that the story is so different to um so many other bond stories the whole cloning thing is quite unique and uh night well, for now for now <laughs> Uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the Nightfire story, I guess, um, as we talk a bit more about that, which I think is a bit more derivative. Um, some other Bond stories, but uh, no, it, it it ranks really highly for me. I it probably get my vote as the most underrated Bond game. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I just checked. Yeah, you're right, Kevin. It was basically a launch title for the GameCube. Ah, right. Which is insane. It like came out a couple months after the GameCube was launched. Mm. So. Oh wow. I didn't know that. So, yeah, I came to these games much later. I didn't play them at the time. Um, So, it's quite recently that I came to these games, to be honest. Um, Just kind of screwing around, thinking, like, you know, looking for games to play so I can review. And, yeah, I kind of found quite a lot to love about them. So, I've obviously looked up them a bit more as time has gone on. You know, possibly with the purpose of doing something James Bond related further down the line. So, I I don't really have a lengthy history with these games as such they're just games i quite enjoy playing i always like kind of look for stuff like this see if i want to um, do a video on it or if i want to do a twitch stream Mm. on it (laughs) you know is it going to be fun for that and i mean i can certainly see that it certainly would be my my game trouble with all the licensed music mind. Yes, so, <laughs> constantly every thirty all, seconds. All the, bo- the, 
Oh, yeah, every yeah, every time you do that bond move, yes, just get a, DM, get a DM, get a DMCA every time that happens. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. With the bond moves, I'm surprised, James. You've not got your soundboard out, and you're not giving no. us James Bond moves every two minutes. No, it would just be even more annoying than the klaxon. But, uh, um, but I, I do remember having this on the PS2 when I had a PS2 when it came out, and um, I, I wouldn't say it's stood out with a lot of the titles around at the time, but it was more of being a fan of Bond than it was being the greatest game at the time, you know. But I think it did find an audience outside of Bond fans to sell 1.9 million copies on the PS2 because <laughs> there aren't 1 million, 1.9 million Bond fans that would buy any game, right? So oh. to, to, <laughs> to hit those... <laughs> no, there aren't, guys. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, so... To, to, so it did find an audience outside of Bond, which I thought was great for a licensed game, which was which was successful. And and we definitely have seen that in the more recent Craig era games when they can't even get close to those sales numbers, right? So heavens no. Yeah. So with mediocre reviews in the press, I think it must have been word of mouth. Um hmm. that can, made can this I, game can successful. I ask James, in hmm. two thousand and one, was everything that shade of like orange that Agent Under Fire's got? <sighs> I don't know. Um, was that really common? Because everything does, I love it, but it feels like an episode of Neighbours and it feels like it has, <laughs> it shares the same. Well, we'll sorry, this, that is, next. this is just me like no. um, thinking as a designer, but it shares a very similar colour palette with Mission Impossible 2, which is all Australia set. And yes. I can remember playing this for the first time. And I've, I always thought in my head for some reason, well, this was James Bond when he goes to Australia just because of the orange colour palette, <laughs> but it's not. No. I do think the early 2000s were a very orange time. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm thinking of Mission Impossible. I was also kind of thinking of CSI Miami and things like that, just, which just seemed to be, everything just seems to be this hue of orange. So I think there's something in that. It might have just been, we need to follow a certain trend. Wasn't Charlie's Angels quite orange yes. as well? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think now I think, yeah, there must, there's something in that following a, following a bit of a trend. Better than brown, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's bright. All right, should we pivot on to Nightfire then? And we yeah. can link that up with your, your drop of Neighbours, Sean, because there's a Neighbours <laughs> connection in Nightfire, which is um, Neighbours star Kimberly Davis voiced mm. the Australian intelligence character Alora McCall in the game, mm. which wow. was like, for UK folks, if they knew that, it would be like, oh, but it's strange that they went and cast somebody outside the franchise in the game it's i think the first time they've ever did that hmm. it wasn't um, promoted on no that. no it was like only later when somebody was like scraping credits did they realize that she's in it <laughs> um so her game career lasted you know 15 minutes um hmm. but it was still 15 more minutes than holly valance <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke for the uk readers um <laughs> So Nightfire was kind of overlapped in development because it was developed by Eurocom for the PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. Um, So this would have been in development whilst um, Agent Under Fire was kind of in its crunch period. Um, Mm. So I think that's why there's a lot of DNA overlap between the two games, even though they were developed by completely different studios. 
Mm. Um, and obviously Zoe Nightshade when the characters returns. So um, we kind of got involved talking to EA and stuff behind the scenes, like as this game was being finished. So in terms of like how much Eurocom was speaking to EA or Edward Shores, I don't, we don't know, but clearly they were taking some assets and bits and pieces from Agent Under Fire. So that's why I always see these games as kind of like a double header because mm. of that connective tissue that they have. That makes sense, yeah. So, And the other thing that was done late was Brosnan's likeness was done late. It was not something that was out of the gate. This was done very, very late. And when we were talking to them, I'm going to say late October that year, 2002, they got the script for Dino the Day two weeks before the game was going gold. Because oh. <laughs> MGM and Eon being like, having no understanding of how the games worked, sent them the script two weeks before the game was finished. Like, oh, you can use some of this stuff in the game. It's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh, dear. Nope. Obviously, some things were known, like, you know, the Aston Martin Vanquish being in the film was known way in advance. But, yeah, they, they were supposed to have an opportunity to create a link, a link between the game and the film. And other than having the trailer mm. on the disc, that's about it. Huh. It's like when you're. It's like when your grandma gives you a present that you don't want. But you but you but you can't say that you don't want. You just like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I guess you could have politely declined and said, oh, "It's too late. <laughs> Sorry, can't use any of this stuff. It's such a shame." It's it's we'd it's have love to. It is interesting though, because when you think about it, there is actually quite a lot of crossover between Nightfire and Die Another Day. That I guess wouldn't have been intentional. I always, I always thought it was. Yeah, likewise. Um, because I've always, I've always thought that Nightfire is the closest we've ever had to an adaptation of the Moonraker novel. Mm, and I right. suppose Die Another Day is the closest we've ever had to the Moonraker novel in film. Mm. So that's really interesting. And then stuff like the Aston Martin on ice, um, every all the space stuff. Mm. Yeah, total coincidence because the uh, wow. Nightfire was originally Phoenix Rising, and it was originally a Moonraker remake. Mm. Ah, that's quite wild, right? And <laughs> <laughs> they managed to get these things. <laughs> so they kind of started from the same point, I guess. Mm-hmm. The huh. Moonraker novel, and they went their own ways and kind of joined back up in the end, which is weird. Huh, that's so good, because I, I just think of, like, how much, you know, like, like, what, three levels all featuring sort of, like, snow and ice, and I always just took that as a deliberate, you know, trying to be Dine of the Day, but not quite being Dine of the Day. But I'm glad that they didn't feel the need to adhere to much in the film, though I'd much prefer them, as we talked about in the last one, to just go ahead and do their own thing. Even if, like, I, I completely agree with Sean, I think this is very close to a lot of Moonraker elements in here. Uh, but I think it works. There's also a lot of stuff cut out of the game. Um, half a dozen mm. missions were taken out. Oh, really? Um, a lot of maps from multiplayer were taken out and um, some weapons, but about a third of the game was cut. Huh. Uh, why? They wanted to get it out for November 2002. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's Thanks. deadline. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's lots of stuff still left on the disc, so to speak, like that people can access, like un- unused tracks, textures. All sorts. That's just kind of left, just hanging around. So yeah, weird for that regard. Oh, kind of a bit of a gold mine for the archivists. Huh. So what do we think about the impact of having the browser put his face on it? 
<laughs> well, it, it, it's good for the marketing, isn't it? Like he's very much slapped all over the the covers and and all that. Um, I mean, I I I don't dislike it. It's weird because it's uh, paired with the voice of uh, it's uh, Maxwell Caulfield, who is a, a working actor. Like I've seen him pop up in things. I think he was on Casualty here in the UK, or or one of those. I think I think that's like a minimum requirement to be an actor in the UK is to be, appear in <laughs> <on> Casualty. <laughs> yeah. So th- there there is a bit of an odd um, yeah disconnect there, but it's uh, it's a pretty good likeness of Brosnan. I'll I'll say. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks the part. Yeah. Sounds the part. Hmm. It's, it's, so, so was he, he wasn't hired to do a Brosnan sort of impersonation. He was hired to do his own take on it, and then they just put Brosnan with it. Is that right? Yeah. Because yeah, the, like, the likeness was added after they did the voice That's work, it, because I understand. don't think he's, I, he's that far off Brosnan, really. So maybe by not trying to be... James Bond, and not tr- well, not trying to be that iteration of James Bond specifically. He's been more James Bond. Mm. Depends how much effort as well went into um. Could just be by accident. I mean, it depends how much effort went into um the actual voice direction because mm. that could be very variable back in those days. Right. So the the person directing might have just said, "Well, you know, just try and make him sound a bit like Pierce Brosnan," because mm. that's that's who the Bond is right now, isn't it? Mm. Without really thinking about much, it very very um mixed bag voice acting in those days. <laughs> but um, he does a good job. How did this hit for you, Calvin, when it came out? <clears throat> oh, it was uh, as as much as I may look back with Agent Under Fire with a bit more fondness now. This was the one that me and my friends were obsessed with at the time, and it did come out or just around about the time of Dine of the Day. There was the whole fortieth anniversary of the cinematic franchise thing going on. Um, and we loved the multiplayer. We we played this to death, and we still play it every now and then. Sometimes we, uh, when I go up north and we have meetups, um, yeah, no, it it, it really, uh, and I think it was the first game that really did capture the feel of being in a Bond film in the terms of the the story as well. And it has all of the the beats that you would get right down to, you know, having a sacrificial lamb character who is killed at some point in the story. And Bond even has an emotional moment in one of the cutscenes oh. where he kind of, you know, um, uh, is upset that his, uh, his, you know, Dominique has been killed. And I think that says a lot that they felt that they could include a cutscene where he's, you know, genuinely emotional uh, and, and you know, it shows their commitment to trying to tell more of a story. I think with it, rather than the cutscenes just being an excuse to get from uh, level to level. And and I really do. I, I think it it does a really really great job um, in that. Can, can I tell you? Twenty years later, I'm still not over Dominique oh. being killed. You know, <laughs> no. as Aww. as what? So I would have been seven, eight when I when I played it and saw that, and it broke my heart. Heart as a child, oh, it's, all, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal, and she gets kicked <laughs> off the roof, and the camera follows her down as she screams. And it's it, and I don't know. There's it, it was kind of that's one of the earliest memories I have of sort of like resonating with the character and something, and then having that having an emotional connection with them when they die, which is mm. really weird. Mm. Mm. No, I, I agree with that. I was slightly obsessed with that cutscene when I was uh, <laughs> a kid playing this, and I think it was for very similar reasons, actually. Uh, 
Yeah, and, and it gives, like, when Bond finally um, kills Kiko, who's the villain who's mm-hmm. responsible for Dominique's death, it's a really cold moment. She mm-hmm. sort of presses the button and she drops down into where the exhaust of um, where the, uh, the shuttle's going to take off and kind of burns it up. <laughs> but I think it's a, really, it's a really cold moment for video game Bond to just stand there behind the glass, sort of, yep, I'm going to press this and kill you, and that's... Uh, <laughs> but again, I think it's I think it's really cool that they um, they let him have those moments. I think it's 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 interesting that a video game, a twenty year old video game as well, could do so much and can mm. tell so much emotionally as part of a story. Mm. It's just then such a shame that they kind of follow it up with um, him just luring after Allura so much. <laughs> the three levels. <laughs> <laughs> Which yes, yeah, still plenty of Bond being Bond. Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's honestly, if you've not played the PC version, it is so much worse on there. <laughs> there is oh, there Lord. is a specific cutscene on the PC version where he just he's just stood behind her, and the whole point of the cutscene is to point out that he's watching her walk, and he's watching her ass. Um, well, <laughs> can, considering who made the PC version, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, so, what's yeah. the story there? I, I don't know any. I do, I've never played the PC oh, version okay, actually, right. so I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, any of this. Okay. So the PC version of Nightfire is developed. Um, it was developed because um, Eurocom developed the console one. Obviously, mm. um, the PC was developed by a studio called Gearbox, mm. who are infamous in video game circles. And what they decided to do was rather than just port the console game, they decided to essentially make their own version of the console game. And it's so much worse in every regard. They used um, the Half-Life engine, mm. which by that time was ancient. Like That was like 1998. It's now 2002. And they changed all the levels. There's no driving in the PC Nightfire. That's all gone. Mm. Um, so even more stuff's cut out. The levels are infinitely worse. Um, the cutscenes are terrible quality. The gameplay is atrocious. It's one of the worst ports or one of the worst versions of a Bond game there is. It's um, I'd liken it as to say, um, imagine a James Bond film that was directed by Michael Winner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's Gearbox's reputation. They've made games like Duke Nukem Forever, Aliens, Colonial Marines, which are just oh. legend legendary terrible titles. Mm. And of course, they they um, buggered up the PC port of Halo One as well. Yep. Okay, um, <laughs> but that was my first. That Utterly, was my first utter wankers. video game ever. The PC Nightfire. <laughs> oh wow! It's a, it's a wonder you played any others. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So it's it's interesting. I don't. So I I think I look back at it with like rose tinted glasses, and I don't. I kind of go, well, it's not that bad. And it probably was that bad. Um, <laughs> Uh, what's really interesting, though, that I find is the differences of how the levels kind of play out is that they did do their own thing, and some of the levels are a lot longer than they are on the console, but then the game overall mm. is a lot shorter. Um, in particular, towards the end of the game, all the stuff that's on Drake's Island, um, you because inf- there's none of the driving stuff and there's not the, the mission... Um, oh god, what's it called? Where you're 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 in the turret, you're in the back of the ultralight, and you're firing at the turret on consoles. Mm. None of that's there, so you're infiltrating your way through another Phoenix facility. Um, but there's stuff in there that's like um, 
there's sort of like Drake's private quarters you have to make your way through. And there's assets that you never see in the console version. Like there's a, there's sort of a, if I remember right, there's a, um, a little bit of that level where you have to, it plays out on the back of a moving freight train when you're shooting on the back of a moving freight train. And that's not in the console version. So it's, mm. it's really interesting how they're kind of the same, but then they split off. There's also the second level of the game, which in is Enemies Vanquished on the console version, which is the Aston Martin on ice is replaced with just kind of stealthily making your way through an airfield. And the stealth mechanics are really unforgiving on PC. <laughs> yes, there's lots of dreadful early 2000s stealth, <laughs> which was in so many fucking games back then, was always the worst thing in them. <laughs> I found it. I found an interview from Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford about this game. Do you want to hear some choice quotes? <laughs> oh yeah, yes. let's let's do that. Yeah. So he uh, so he was interviewed. Uh, I can't find the date. And it's two thousand nine. All right. So he said um, we launched the same time as Dino of the Day, but we were allowed to create our own story in the Bond universe. I thought if I was going to do that, I wasn't just going to do a work for high tying game. I wanted to play around in the Bond universe a bit. Fair enough. Uh, then he goes mm-hmm. on to say, Albert R. Broccoli died whilst we we're in development, and Barbara Broccoli, now producer of the Bond films, took over, and she decided, like, we don't want Bond to be violent. We don't want him to shoot anybody. He laughed. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on to say, uh, he had awesome things like gadget glasses with x ray mode, and you know what Bond would want to do. He would want to adjust it to look at all the girls' underwear. So he put this feature in so you could look at the NPCs who are girls, and you can see their fucking underwear quote, and you can just. Uh, <laughs> Just the X-ray goggles to do that, and Barbara <laughs> had a big problem with it. Shock horror! Uh, he said really? he, had, he had to fight to keep those elements in the game. Would he work with Danjek again? Probably not. He admits uh, <laughs> they are they I, are I, in the game. I can remember those. And you I, at the at the start in Drake's Castle, you, there's a specific objective where you have to photograph all the ladies at the party. Right. Mm. So Ugh. he fought hard to keep Sick. that in. God, that was where the effort went. <laughs> I, I imagine Dan Jack would have said that like, the feeling's fucking mutual, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, there was a later quote where uh, he said when he was uh, answering some criticism about the game, and he said, "Well, the license holders got the game they asked for." <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> okay, Randy. <laughs> So which was the version that got ported to the Mac? Was it the Gearbox version that got ported to the Mac then? By Aspire. I don't know how you pronounce them. A-S-P-Y-R. That came out in 2004, like two years later. I have, I have no idea. I think it must have been. I have no idea. All I, I, would have thought all so. I know is that I've tried, I've tried so hard to try and get it to play on my Mac, but I think OS ten broke it, so you couldn't. Mm. Right. Once you'd upgraded back then, you couldn't play it anymore. So a lot of the reviews of Nightfire basically said that they took Agent under fire and kind of like buffed it a little bit, right? So we have the gun barrel, we have a pre-title mm. sequence, we have Brosnan's lightness. It's like, but fundamentally, the game's the same structure, right? It's twelve missions. There's mm. first person on rails and driving, mm. but I very similar, but yeah, be- better made in regards, yeah, in regards. There's there's more of all the good stuff. I think is what I'd say, and the levels are a lot more open. Mm. Mm. 
Like I, I did always quite love that first um, level, the infiltrating Drake's castle level, where you can mm. you have so many different kind of options of how you're going to do it. You can jump in the back of the truck and hide your way in. You can just blast your way in. You can go. You get on the ledge and go around the corner, and there's a whole other section of the level there. And that kind of the fact that it was really rewarding exploration was uh, an awful lot of fun at the time. And Agent of the Fire did that to a, a much smaller degree. Um, but this fit felt like it really expanded on it and, um, yeah, really rewarded some exploration. Mm. That kind of, sure. that kind of tails off towards the end of the game though. It yes. does become more linear, but I think that's part of what makes Nightfire so great is the variation of it all. No two levels feel the same. Mm. I think, I think it also, one of the other things about Nightfire is that, um, it, it, it forces you to continue to actually play in all of these styles at different points. Like you have to have the exploration, you have to have the more actiony stuff, the more stealthy. It 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 has a lot of variation. It kind of introduces it all to you in that level, mm. infiltrating the castle. But then it's not like there's anything in that level that you then don't ever go back to. Mm. Like you will, it will return in that, later in the game. Yeah, yeah, that... which I think is a very cool touch. Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. It never occurred to me before. But no, you're totally right. Yeah. And I, I I love that it even has like a a pre credits level like before <laughs> if you just put the game in fresh and you have no save file on the memory card or at least on the GameCube version it plays this way it just throws you right into that opening level in Paris where you're saving Dominique and it's a little bit of sort of sniper action and then you're in the Aston Martin Vanquish and then it goes into the opening title sequence and again that was kind of new and exciting for a for a Bond game. Uh, so, so that level when I so when I finally got the console version, that level blew my mind because mm. I'd been playing Nightfire for a couple of years before that, and that level isn't on the PC version at all. Ah. So it, <laughs> no. night, the PC Nightfire just starts at Drake's castle, and then your first <laughs> meeting with Dominique is that cutscene where he's like, "Oh, Dominique," and you're like, "Oh, who's that?" But you can't. You so can't understand you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that blew my mind, but. It, it it's it's a lovely it's both a lovely prologue and a lovely tutorial to get you sort of ready for the game. Mm, mm. You and you just, get you get a little taster of all the later levels in that one single mm, level for sure. Mm. And just on the gameplay itself, like I, I've played both of these games in quite quick succession recently, and Kim, you'll be able to articulate this far better than I can. Um, the, mm, try my best. The, like the mechanics <laughs> of the shooting, it, it feel it's it is very different to Agent Under Fire. I, it, I guess it maybe feels less frenetic, and I'm not quite sure why. It feels perhaps more accurate. Mm. I I don't really know. I feel like when I'm firing off a machine gun in um, Agent Under Fire, the bullets are kind of flying off everywhere in Nightfire it feels a little bit more focused um I feel that there's precision there's a bit more precision there and mm. also just generally just firing guns in Nightfire is so satisfying mm. yeah just because I mean not necessarily just because of the way um of the gameplay just because of the sound design and mm. how it's done that everything just seems to have such an impact like whether it's like just using a gadget or even just firing a silenced pistol has a great sound um i think there's some parts again that are perhaps not necessarily ideal like sometimes when i played it it does seem like there's a, often a bit of a delay mm. in um an enemy's reaction to being shot or being blown up like it seems like the the explosion happens and then it's like a split second later they then go flying mm. which is just just a slight little nitpick really but um generally um it's very very solid in that department i certainly preferred 
shooting around in night fire as opposed to agent under fire mm. I, I think you're totally right on the i never really thought about the sound design but yeah no when you're shooting the guns mm. and everything it i i associate agent yes I, so loud yeah <laughs> I, I associate agent under fire with more kind of like explosions and frenetic just like chaos i guess because mm. they just put explosives mm. in every single level um yes but in night fire it, it 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 is just that little bit more satisfying it feels just that extra little mm. bit of realism and the guards don't have like dust coming off them like they do in Agent of Fire when you shoot people. <laughs> no. They just sort of flinch, and there's these clouds of dust. Yeah, for sure. No, you, uh, do you, do you, so do you, do you guys have any like? Do you guys have a favourite gun from Nightfire? Which might be the nerdiest question I've ever asked. <laughs> uh, just thinking about the sound, sound design got me thinking and i got thinking about the I, I, I can't remember the names someone out there will be shouting at me now because they'll know all the names of them but the one where you have to like charge it a little bit before it shoots and it's a machine gun and it kind of goes and then it fires well like like a minigun you mean it's it's like a, it's Gat, like Gat, it's yeah Gatling gun. yeah it's like a big thing it's you really you have mm. I don't it's know if you know the, the one M134 I mean. minigun, <laughs> <laughs> according to Wikipedia. But I feel like there must be there's there's kind of like a gun that everyone sort of gravitated towards using in multiplayer in Nightfire. I feel like everyone could be able to identify that if they saw it. The Raptor for me, that was the one. It's like a handgun, but it just yeah it feels nice and powerful. Oh, and the Sentinel as well, the the rocket launcher with the guidance thing mm-hmm. that you could just yeah fly around. That was very very <laughs> exciting. Yeah. All right, Sean. Here you go. So your favorite gun then, the M134 minigun. Yeah. Also appears in episode three, the Chameleon, in James Bond Junior. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together all right. continuity this is a thing kim you will learn doing these podcasts that no matter what everything comes back to james bond jr <laughs> amazing yeah. um nightfire was also one of the early games to use motion capture um in the bond series mm-hmm. i know goldeneye did that like spectacularly well right with mm-hmm. all of their like movements and everything but i think uh, Night- nightfire is like one of those where Everybody wobbles. <laughs> like the tech wasn't quite there in 2002. Mm. Getting close, but not quite there still, which, to be honest, I don't mind. It's because it's still got a nice bit of um, old school jankiness about it. Mm. Right. Yeah, it looks, it, Brosnan to me looks like he's doing the chicken dance when he's trying to tie his bow tie. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. And I was watching your review, Calvin, and it's like, Zoe Nightshade's head just like her neck's made of rubber or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's trying to look she's supposed to be like sexy, alluring. <laughs> sort of look at him and her head's just sort of going a bit, yeah, Beetlejuice all around. When she's turning around and telling him that she's armored in all the right places. So that That's mean. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But her boobs don't jiggle uh, <laughs> as much as they did in Agent Under Fire. So that's the thing. <laughs> Yeah. And she's also given sensible clothing in this game, which. <laughs> so, Calvin, you had a um, an experience with the uh, Game Boy Advance version, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I only played that. Uh, well, I remember when it came out, and a friend of mine got it, and it came out quite a bit after the console version. I think it was like a year and a bit later, something like that. Uh, and we 
spent like half an hour playing it and put it down and never played it again. And uh, but I did go through it more recently, and I'll say it does an admirable job at trying to translate a first-person 3D shooter to a Game Boy Advance, which is not a bit of uh, hardware that I think <laughs> is equipped for handling that many dimensions. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> it's, have you played it, Kim? I've not played the GBA version. Have no. you played any first-person shooter on the GBA? Um, GBA was never really console of choice for me. Ah. I um, had a DS instead. Ah, yeah. Well, that, so, mm. um, but yeah. I know Doom was on there. Yeah. I don't think there were actually that many. Nightfire is a bit of a... Yeah, a rarity in that. Like it, it does. I think from what I understand of the PC version, I think it adheres more to that. You know, you don't have your driving levels and your on rails shooting segments, and mm. I know that there are some levels that are parallel with that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it does an admirable job at trying to recreate that experience, but it just mm. ends up feeling lesser by the end of it. It's just far <laughs> too clunky. I think they learned the lessons for the following game, everything, and I think is for the GBA, they switched to an isometric mm. game rather yeah, than trying to do something more FPS. traditional. Yeah. 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 One of the things we've, we've kind of skipped over is the on-rail segments, because I think that's kind of like maybe one of like the sub-genres of gaming that's kind of like faded off. Not a lot of people use that mm. yeah. mechanic anymore. Yeah, you're not wrong. But I think they did it really well here in these two games. Mm. <clears throat> I, yeah. I, I'm, I think as... as annoying as it might be forbidden depths might be my favorite level of agent under fire which is the one the on rails one where you go underwater and you're chasing after block showing it is really cool yeah i I like the when you're going through some of those tubes the way they're sort of that twirly design whatever it is it almost looks like you're going through a massive gun barrel which Uh is just really cool yeah i like a good on rails section to be honest i kind of miss having them in a lot of games Mm. Uh, it's, it's just normally a good chance to just you know it's like hey you've got a very big gun here's loads of people you can shoot go ahead <laughs> shoot again <laughs> i like i mean I, I i came a lot from the arcade gaming so yeah that sort of stuff's quite always appealing to me it reminds me of like operation wolf or right. whatever something age old right so yeah i always enjoy that sort of thing but yeah the underwater aston martin section that's um Definitely pushing the boat out for that one. <laughs> oh, that, that, uh, the thing about that level is that it's got no fucking checkpoints at all. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. It's so frustrating. And whereas Enemies Vanquish doesn't have any checkpoints either, but you can kind of get to the end quite quick. And if you die at the end of Enemies Vanquish, it's probably because you've fucked up a lot the whole way there. You've got hit by a lot of missiles. But at the end of... Um, Oh, what's it called? The level, the underwater Aston Martin level, mm, uh, something descent. Oh yes, um, oh deep deep descent, deep descent? maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone's shouting at me out there. Um, but you can get to the end of that just and literally be wiped out straight away, and then you have to go back to the start, and it's really nice fucking cool. annoying. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I like the little design flourish on that level that you see the uh, logo for Malprave Industries, uh, the ship that you go through. It's on the side of the ship, which obviously tying back to Agent Under mm-hmm. Fire. Oh. And I just like that as like someone made that decision, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, let's put that in there and try to connect this together. And we'll see the uh, the Phoenix Corporation logo again in Everything or Nothing. I just like that there is those little easter eggs of continuity it helps this feel like it is its own universe in and of itself which is just kind of cool i mean they missed a trick really by not just like having a pair of giant jiggly boobs <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> well, Randy Pitchford could have done that. They should have let him just add it. He, he can put jiggly boobs anywhere. I mean, if you've ever played Duke Nukem Forever, right. Alien Lair, jiggly boobs. There, there you go. <laughs> That's not even a joke. So, <laughs> so um, three quarters of the audience said Nightfire is better than Agent Under Fire. Would you all kind of agree with that? Or have you got any dissenting voices? I. I would agree, but I think there's one big Nightfire thing we've not spoke about yet, actually. Oh? Multiplayer. Ah. Mm. And mm. I think that is probably the deciding factor for a good 50% of those people. Mm. That's true. It is a really great, uh, fun multiplayer with lots of bond. Like I like the classic characters that you can unlock throughout the main game who come back. You've got Jaws and Xenia and Goldfinger and... It, it it yeah it, it it's very very cool, but of course, if, when you're picking a character, you can't have two James Bonds. You can only have mm. when you're, you're your right. team can you can only only one of you can be James Bond. You can be any of the other characters, but because you can't have, is it right that someone didn't want two James Bonds shooting at each other? I think we know who that person was, and she's been mentioned already in this hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even, it's, I think you can only be one good guy character. That's right. Yeah, in the free-for-all shooting, which is something that was in the um, N64 uh, World's Not Enough um, uh, game as well, uh, which is, I mean, here, it, it, there aren't that many good guy characters here, so it's not too intrusive, I don't feel. Whereas in the N64 world's not enough, it, it's more it's like half the roster you suddenly can't have because someone's decided that they want to be uh-huh. bank clerk who has been decided to be a good character. <laughs> so because of that, you can't be James Bond, and it's just it's bizarre. So it's before uh-huh. it's time because now bank bankers are considered villains. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it it just it's annoying because they have like three different versions of Bond. You got Bond in his stealth gear, Bond in his tux, Bond in his space suit, all uh, optional. But yeah, <laughs> ah, wonderful. Yeah, but you can play that now. What, to, like... what, a, what a strange decision. <laughs> well, I mean, it goes back to like Ian and Danjet being very controlling of like not having Bond point a gun at a bond girl on any packaging or any artwork and all this other kind of stuff it's i can see why they want to protect the brand a little bit but it's to the detriment of the game in this case yes mm. i mean yeah. it's a bit over- overkill but, but, mm. but if they didn't have some of those in place what would um randy right. pitchford have got up to <laughs> <laughs> i dread to think and they get around i don't i don't like going into his mind <laughs> And they get around it in Agent Under Fire by having the evil Zoe clone be the Zoe Nightshade <laughs> right. uh, figure that you... It's like, oh yeah, we'll get all around this. All they have to do is one. put a moustache on all the other bonds. <laughs> <laughs> Dark timeline bond versus... Yeah. Yes. The name's Nob. <laughs> that took me a minute. That took me a minute. <laughs> uh, so you're right, Sean. The legacy of Nightfire Online, and there's still dedicated websites to Nightfire multiplayer. There's still servers out there that you can play on oh. PC version. Um, and Nightfire has been very much kept alive by the community online. Hmm. Um, 
I mean, I last looked at that stuff like 10 years ago. And the other day when we were talking about doing this episode, I was like, I'm going to see, you know, whatever happened to that. Oh, and no, it's all still there. People <laughs> still playing it. Um, that's so that's so wonderful when you find stuff like that. Just little internet communities have just been pottering around for, well, 20 years. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Probably still a lot of the same people. It's not as nice. <laughs> Especially knowing these days when there's like about five websites on the internet, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> and, and are they, so are a lot of people still playing the um, PC version, or are they playing the, like an emulated console version? Uh, PC multiplayer. Okay. Online. Because yeah. they are because the two are actually as well quite different. Like there was a lot of there are a lot of different maps on the PC version that, and I think a lot of them are hangover from the world is not enough games, or they seem to be. Because there's stuff like um, the Caviar Factory is a map. Right. Uh, there's a casino that feels very much like the casino from World Is Not Enough, uh, which also has bookcases where you can press the books in and they open it to reveal the secret mm-hmm. room, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Romania, if I remember right. That's a really random map. <laughs> Sounds like somebody there. from EA had to go scout the location, you know. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a jolly to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. At least look at an encyclopedia or something. You know? here's, here's a few issues of National Geographic. Go nuts. <laughs> but then, of course, the most the famous, the night fire, the map I would argue is probably the most famous night fire multiplayer map, Skyrail, ah, which right. is the one with the cable car, isn't on mm. PC. Right. Of course. Hmm. And a, a version of that level actually called Skyrail is on the N64. World is not enough. Uh, really? Which is interesting. Mm. Yeah. I would expect, mind you, that someone has probably modded it in on PC. Oh, they have to have. If they've right. not, there's an idea for you guys. Send a check to Chick to Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the. Uh, if anybody wants to have a look at it, it's nightfirepc.com. And. Um, You'll be pleased to know, Sean, that it's very orange. Keeping yes, it alive. So, that is the neighbor's aesthetic. Oh, yeah, it is. I have it. So, yeah, you can even download the whole game and the patch and uh, get yeah. going. Oh, look, there's, there's serpentine everywhere. Which, for, <laughs> anyone, for anyone listening, is the font, the typeface, which is that 2000s sort of italic typeface. It's <laughs> yes. coming back. I'm leading a charge to bring serpentine back. Uh, it's beautiful. You, you see it in like really random places. So you, you get it on stuff like this on like action movie stuff, and it feels like a very actiony font. But then it's also like on the car wash down the road. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> another fun. And of course, there's one thing about another thing about Nightfire we haven't mentioned um, is the soundtrack, hmm, which right. is phenomenal. It's really hmm. good. I still, I Fantastic. still, I, I must come back to it every few days because I find I find these video game soundtracks particularly helpful when I'm working creatively just to sit and kind of have on and listen to because I'm they're not invoking sort of images that the movies would invoke in my head and it's not a distraction. Mm. Yeah, it's an awesome soundtrack and the original song as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nearly civilized. Like, yeah. mm. So Jeff Timoshuk worked on the soundtrack for this game and he came back to do everything or nothing. Did, did, um, did someone else work on the soundtrack as well for this one? Did Steve Duckworth do some stuff? I'm sure I read. I'm sure I once read somewhere that there's a miscredit in the credits on the soundtrack department. Oh, I don't know. I could be. I've I could heard, be making that I've up. I've heard that. Mm. No, I've heard that. 
not entirely sure of the details, but I did hear that when I was looking up stuff in preparation. But then, of course, as well, there are some tracks that still make it over from the original From the World Is Not Enough game. Um, And in the PC version, whenever you die, Don Vecca's theme remix plays and it blares out at you. Hmm. And so when you get like a te- it's ten se- it's a good ten seconds of blood coming down and then you get a really loud da 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 but it's a two thousands remix of it hmm. and it's really unsuitable and it's every single time you die <laughs> there's a there's a great someone's done uh, on YouTube there's someone's done a compilation of like just lots of dying screens from Nightfire PC it's ten minutes and I really recommend watching it it's just that over and over again <laughs> it's really it's really inappropriate for a death animation but it's fantastic <laughs> celebratory death yeah. <laughs> but it is a great theme remix, I must say, and it's. I think it, it also made it partially somewhere into the promotional material for Everything or Nothing. So that one theme remix right. came from the world is not enough and made it through all four games, which I think is brilliant. Hmm. Ah. I was looking around for like you know because HD remakes are like the thing these days, right? And um, mm. Nightfire is bobbing around on a lot of polls these days for people wanting a remake, a HD remaster. But it's never going to happen. Because mm. <laughs> of, of the rights and the licensing, whatever we have now is whatever you're going to have. It's, they're never going to go back and redo these things. Mm. Mm. So, it runs beautifully on emulation, though. Right. It runs absolutely beautifully. Yeah. I played it on a PS2 emulation. It was great. Mm. Can I, I, you can upscale it on there. Excellent. What, would you, what emulator would you recommend, Kim? Oh, PCSX2. It's the only game in town for PS2 emulation. Okay. We shall stick some links in the notes for people to play. Um, any final thoughts? Nightfire Agent Under Fire? Yeah. They're both really good games. I mean, they're very strong when it comes to their high up, when it comes to like the licensed titles of the PS2, I think for sure. they. It's, I'm not surprised that people still remember them very fondly to this day. Mm. I think they're probably my two favourite Bond games. Uh, I'm sort of having a little playthrough of some of these uh, classic uh, EA ones, uh, so maybe that'll change. But no, I, I'm having a really great time revisiting them, uh, very fond memories of them. I think they do a great job at capturing that. I mean, the whole point of a Bond game should to make you should be to make the player feel like they are James Bond and existing in that world. And particularly Nightfire, I think, just, just does a beautifully spot-on job of uh, achieving that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where to begin with kind of rounding it up. Um, other, than, I think anyone, anyone that knows my Bond fan work will know that I rate these games very highly, and they're obviously very special to me for a lot of reasons. Um, but they're just, they've just really are on point, and I, I think Agent of Fire, Nightfire, and Everything or Nothing are three games that I don't think any Bond game since has kind of got that magic, mm. and. I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is, whether it's in like the detail, whether it's in the ability to kind of like the production team must have had to have a bit of fun with it. There's little nods and things that are just, they're not taking themselves too seriously. So it really works. I don't know. There's a lot to say, but I think they're brilliant, beautiful games. And for me, I, whenever I'm counting through the films in my head, these three automatically go into that list. So oh, right. when, when I'm going through, 
and I don't, I don't wow. maybe that's just because of my age at the time and when I was discovering the films I was playing the games at the same time but when I'm going through and I'm going Golden Knight Tomorrow Never Dies World Is Not Enough It Goes Agent of Fire Nightfire <laughs> Die Another Day Everything or Nothing in my head like automatically so uh, yeah they're, ju- they're just brilliant and if it, if you're a Bond fan or if you're a gamer and you haven't played one try and pick one up try and just it's a good experience you're going to have a good time without a lot of hard work or investment it's great right. awesome well said Sean alright so thanks very much for joining us Kim, Calvin and Sean and we'll see you all next week thank you thank you bye everyone thank you bye bye Intensity